Holy smoke, summer is almost done. So we're coming at you now with VegCast 121. VegCast, a full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, VegCast is back on our new schedule of appearing periodically when we have something important to deliver to the vegan and vegetarian community. And of course, the Sounds of Summerfest is a time-honored tradition at VegCast and one that we would not shirk, even though uh, Summerfest happened uh, at the beginning of July and it's now the end of August. We are getting that out before summer is over. And what a Summerfest this was. We're going to talk uh, with people such as Jonathan Balcom about a project that he's launched that's gaining some steam. Uh, hear about the latest news in uh, vegan cheese, artisan vegan cheese from Yoko uh, Schinner. Uh, we'll talk to Dr. Michael Greger. We will uh, talk to Howard Lyman, who was back uh, this year. He's going to talk about Cowspiracy, which uh, premiered at Summerfest, and also about Jay Dinshaw and his legacy. And his daughter Anne has a new book, Powerful Vegan Messages, about her father's legacy uh, and how that's uh, kind of affecting many, many vegans in the community at large. We're going to talk with her about that. Uh, and we have much more coming up for you to uh, basically encapsulate Summerfest 2014. So sit back, relax, crank up your MP3 player as we deliver this 121st. All right, as you may know, the North American Vegetarian Society hosts Vegetarian Summerfest every year in Johnstown, PA, somewhere around the beginning of July. And uh, this year certainly was a summer fest to remember. That's what we're doing here. We're going to be uh, talking with some of the people there and reminiscing uh, here in the so-called studio uh, about what, uh, what we learned at this year's summer fest. Uh, one of the things I learned was uh, that I was going to go ahead and put a podcast out without uh, cobbling together a simulacrum of the studio that I had previously to do this uh, with a, a better sounding uh, microphone. We're just using the mic on the computer now, just like podcasters, shoestring podcasts from days of old. Uh, but without any more preamble, let's go right into some of our capsule interviews from early July 2014. And the first person we are going to talk to is VegCast favorite, Jonathan Balcom. We are right here outside the Living Learning Center on a beautiful night uh, and taking a break from some dancing and kind of going out to do our requisite appreciation of the beauty and epic quality of nature. Then we'll go back in and do some more dancing. But right now, I wanted you to explain something to me that today actually, what was today, I want you to explain to our VegCast listeners. Today, the first Saturday of the month of July, in this case, is Vegan T-Shirt Day. The first Saturday of every month is the day that I've designated as Vegan T-Shirt Day, really meaning very flexibly to wear your message. It doesn't have to be a vegan message. It could be a vegetarian message. It could be an animal rights message, but something that fits in that. It doesn't have to be a vegan message. Now, I thought, well, see, this morning we were talking about it, and you were still vacillating on whether it even had to have the word vegan on it. Right. We let that go, and now you're like... <laughs> 
So, <laughs> so it's really like just wear a T-shirt. <laughs> I mean, it could be like a mafia message. It could be just like IBM. No, no, it could, no. what's it, the, it is meant What to is be, the limit there? You're right. Uh, I mean, vegan would be ideal. Um, you know, vegetarian is fine. Vagina is right out. That's just not the kind of V message <laughs> okay. we want here. So, well, now wait a second, though. If you're going to say you can, <laughs> you go ahead and make it vegan or vegetarian. It seems like now you're kind of discriminating unfairly against the vagina. <laughs> Actually, did you know that the word vagina occurs in the word vegetarian? If you if you mix the letters up enough. Wow. Yeah, I, played that I in did a word not game know once. that. Yeah, I discovered that in a word game once. Anyway, we digress. That's v true. Vegan T-shirt day is intended to be a day of sort of a critical critical mass idea where if enough people wear the message on the first on a particular day and then why not designate the first Saturday of every month? Yeah. They can wear that message any other day is welcome, but certainly the first Saturday of every month. Then in time, it'll build up hopefully to a point where people will start saying, yeah, "What will start the hell saying, are people hey, all wearing yeah, these T-shirts?" I noticed for. a vegan message earlier, and there's another one. It's like yeah. this is a kind of real growing movement, and it'll yeah. just generate more attention to it. So that's the thinking: Great. is that it just be a visibility project? Okay, a visibility project, and I encourage you to increase the vis visibility of the project as well as the. Audibility, which I'm trying out to help out with right now. Yes. So thanks for telling us about Vegan T-Shirt Day. Yes. And thanks for talking with us on VegCast. My pleasure. Okay. And just one last word. Yes, it doesn't sir? have to be a T-shirt. It could be a bumper sticker. It could be a button. But T-Shirt is ideal. Okay. And I like the word vigibility, by the way. Vigibility. <laughs> it's great. Well, it's when you're it's when you're on a vigil, you have to have a certain amount of vigibility. <laughs> so that's what I was trying to get at. But thanks anyway. Okay, so that's one small wacky slice of what was going on at Summerfest. Vegan T-shirt day occurred during Summerfest, so that was fun, and you can join the fun every Saturday uh, by wearing your vegan T-shirt, uh, trying to get the word out, and we are noticing uh, that word kind of spreading and people adopting that so that's great we will get back to the wackiness uh, a little bit later but uh, let's check in now uh, with another Summerfest attendee uh, whom I have spoken to in my uh, capacity as V for Veg columnist back when her book Artisan Vegan Cheese came out but now she's actually releasing a line of Artisan Vegan Cheeses in stores it's Miyoko Shinner all right, we're right here on Johnstown University of Pittsburgh campus talking with Miyoko Shinner, and we know you as the artisan vegan cheese author, right. but you're now, you're, you're an entrepreneur. You're actually putting these out for people to buy. We're going to put them out, and vegan cheese is coming to you across the country and in Europe as well. And there'll be a wow. whole variety, so you can have that wine and cheese party you've always been dreaming of, you know, with that whole array of vegan cheeses. Some are hard and sharp and some will be creamy and soft so you'll yeah. get that whole range of flavors and textures and we'll, where will we be able to find it i mean you they, can this find will them be on, in whole foods or it'll be in stores be, as well yeah. as e-commerce you can go to our okay. website and uh, you know you can uh, sign up and you can get updates there uh, so you can buy yeah. cheese over the internet and like you can wait for it to uh, won't it like it be awfully runny when you get it it'll Is be that? completely melted and ready for your toast no but seriously <laughs> no we'll pack them with ice oh, I see. That, so be fine okay yeah. all right and uh so it's miyoko's kitchen is going to be the the That's brand right. uh, yep actually the brand on the package is miyoko's creamery oh miyoko's yeah. creamery yeah that's pretty ballsy uh, to uh, say creamery right. when you're all right that's well right. Creamery. you've we can always say that. been that we can't way. say cheese that's that, <laughs> against the law actually in california to use the word cheese anywhere on your alternative cheese package that's so. great 
All right, well, thanks for talking All with right, me thanks, about fans. your cheese, Miyoko, and have a great summer. Okay. Friend. All right, and speaking of cheese, in more ways than one, let's check in now with Dr. Michael Greger in uh, what has become a kind of skewed tradition for Sounds of Summerfest to speak to the man whose erudition and knowledge of nutritional science encompasses so much that it just boggles the mind as to what one might ask of him if uh, you had the opportunity to ask him any question that you could and have him discourse on it. Uh, we, of course, here at VegCast, take the opportunity to talk to him about the progress of cheese on vegan pizza at Summerfest. And uh, we are going to check in once again on that critical issue for a perspective that only Dr. Michael Greger could deliver. Dr. Greger, we're right in the lunchroom here at Vegetarian Summerfest waiting for pizza and we have nothing better to do than to shoot the breeze and talk about vegan pizza, how far it's come, and whether or not you actually approve of this pizza. Kale salad. We're on the kale salad line. I don't know where you get this pizza thing from. <laughs> yeah, we got <laughs> we got to completely eliminate all those, those oils. And, oh, I tell you, it's all about the dark green leafies. <laughs> the line goes around the block, yeah. fighting over who's going to get the kale, who's going to get the Swiss chard. Okay, well, you're saying that as though it's a little parody version of what we're actually doing, but maybe that will happen. Maybe there will be... You know, entrepreneurs getting the kale Absolutely. salad out. People shot in the streets to get at their spinach. <laughs> we don't want that. Well, we, that's crazy. We want a non-violent. Not oh, right, right. Okay, non-violent. Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. I'm with so, you. Okay, people at least they'll be camping out in the streets. Camping out in yeah. the streets, loving okay. for spinach. Yeah, and kale and the kale chips. Oh, perhaps Dr. Greg's for kale, kale chips. Oh, you yeah. Out of since you have professed to be mm. the master of kale chip making, well, maybe yeah. you should <laughs> you should get that a line of those out. There. Well, until I put out on my paper, I said I love kale chips. Send me your kale chips. It's very easy to poison Dr. Greger. I just <laughs> you just I'll eat whatever I get. I just get boxes of food. Yeah. Who knows how long they've been sitting in a truck. Yeah. And then you know, I never, and now, I finally realized that I am I, I I make the worst kale chips in the world, and that everybody else. <laughs> but even bad kale chips, come on, that's are true. delicious. Come okay. on, that's true. They are, and that's why we're here right now in the kale chip and slash spinach slash kale salad line. That's right. It's tough. I'm gonna be here for an hour. Yeah. Well, a lot of chewing. Tough competition. All right, well, thank you for taking time out from your waiting to talk Absolutely. If you don't got greens in your teeth, you're not doing it right. Sounds of Summerfest from Elizabeth Barnett. Had a piano prelude before a plenary, but we are now kind of shifting gears here from the wacky improvisations of Michael Greger to a feature that has become a regular part of the Sounds of Summerfest, which is our exclusive 
first interview with the new inductee into the Vegetarian Hall of Fame, and this time around, it was none other than John Pierre, a friend of VegCast, and uh, all-around great guy, and we're going to hear that right about now. John Pierre, we are here in the Pasquarilla Center where you have just been, well, within the past couple hours, inducted into the Vegetarian Hall of Fame. So first, let me say congratulations for that. Very deserving. And thanks for taking time out from all of the well-wishers and accolades to talk with us on VegCast. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm delighted to be inducted in the Hall of Fame, and I stand, uh, you know, in awe of, of this honor and privilege. And the people who came before me really inspired me the most. I mean, they're the ones who actually inspired me every day and motivated me to keep on going. And I just feel I'm a spoke on a wheel, and basically I'm just there to try to do good like we all can. And I think it's important that each and every one of us every day just try to do something to make sure we do more good in the world than damage. Right. Well, it's, it's easier said than done, but it's something that we all need to do. And let's just, one little anecdote. You know, I, we, I proposed that we do this podcast. You said, do you want to go over here where it's quiet? Because you were already anticipating something that was going to be doing good for me. Is, do you, are there any secrets that you have? I mean, you've already, like, put yourself on a wavelength where you can figure out how to do good. Some of us may be like, well, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? What's, is there any magic key that you can give us to how we can align our lives better to be able to do things that help people? Well, I think, again, we should just always think that everywhere we go, we should be sprinkling some pixie dust of love. Every time we meet somebody, we should be sprinkling that pixie dust of love. So always leave everywhere we go and every person we meet feeling a little bit better and having a little bit more knowledge and somehow of helping them. All right. Well, it sounds easy. I think I'll, I'll try to adopt it. But now, now that you've, uh, you know, you're a vegetarian Hall of Fame inductee, are you, are you going to Disneyland or what's your plan? No, I think I'm just going to go out and hand out some leaflets maybe tonight. And Are you, you're not going to hand out leaflets tonight. Well, actually what I'll do is I'm going to go and pick some up, some leaflets, so when I'm on the airplane tomorrow, I can put them in the magazines ah, and see? be a little five-minute activism there. Excellent. See, you're always thinking and you're always acting. That's the thing about you. Well, uh, you're an inspiration, and I can say that without any uh, reservation, and I really appreciate everything that you've done here, and I appreciate your talking with us on VegCast. Well, thank you, and thank you for all your good work over these years, too. Okay, great. Now, as I mentioned, Howard Lyman made a return appearance at Summerfest after an absence of uh, several years, and uh, everybody was excited to see him and to talk to him. Uh, he was there largely to promote Cowspiracy, a movie he appears in, uh, but I also wanted to talk to him about uh, the founder of the American Vegan Society, Jay Dinshaw, uh, as Howard does appear in the book Powerful Vegan Messages, uh, speaking about Jay. So I did manage to corner Howard in the hallway right outside the lunchroom uh, to ask him those questions. It seemed like a perfect opportunity Except I have to mention that not everybody who was coming out of the lunchroom uh, who saw me with this little MP3 recorder talking to Howard Lyman showed the proper respect for the fact that this is VegCast, man. <laughs> I'm talking to Howard Lyman. 
but hopefully you can understand what he's saying and uh, we got some good comments from Howard right here. Here in the hallway of the Student Union at Vegetarian Summerfest with the one and only Howard Lyman. And Howard, I, there are many things that we've talked about and we could talk about now, but uh, because you're in this book that's just coming out, I wanted to ask you about Jay Dinshaw and your experience with him. Uh, since you knew him longer than I did and you were... Uh, you know, right there in the in the corridors of power where he was operating, let's say. What what kind of uh, impression did he make on you, or what did you notice about the way that he went about uh, furthering the vegan message or getting... Jake Dinshaw was one of the most amazing individuals I ever met in my life. He told me early on, he said, you know, the way we're treating animals is absolutely wrong. He said, I'm going to never again in my life ever wow, take a day off but if there's until an we end up dealing Brazil, with this issue. And here's Jay Dinshaw, a guy that seven days a week, 365 days a year, year after year after year, I totally believe that man worked himself to death. Yeah. The most committed individual that I've ever met in my life. And the nice thing about Jay, he emanated love like nobody you would ever believe. Um, so let me just ask you, pin you down on that very question, because he says emanated love like nobody else. What Can you give me any kind of anecdote or any, any palpable realization? Well, you know, early in my career, I used to get angry with people that did not get the thing about being a vegan, about treating animals well. Nobody cared more about the issue than Jay Dinshaw, but he never, he never put people down because they didn't get it. He always had that hope, that spark, that maybe in the future they'd understand. Maybe that love that he was spreading around would emanate with them. He never, never condemned people for their behavior, he always had the hope that someday they would get it. Right, and someday they will. It's just we don't know when. But and you're here uh, partially to promote cowspiracy. We want to mention that because it's, it seems like it's given a little bit more of a uh, an emphasis in your. And maybe it was just that you changed your presentation at the last minute, as though you were saying. But it seems like now you're you're really hitting harder on the fact that. We can't play around with this anymore, but we have to get absolutely serious uh, about saving the planet and eliminating animal agriculture. Absolutely. You know, what we're looking at, let's look at the facts. Nature does not negotiate. We are going to have to live within the confines of nature. We're not doing that now. Humans are modifying the weather. It is getting more extreme. It's getting hotter. It's getting colder. The winds are getting stronger. We are modifying the weather as Homo sapiens, the first time in the history of this planet that a species has done that. What I'm trying to do is to get people to understand that if there is to be a future for our children and grandchildren, we're going to have to realize that we cannot negotiate with nature. We're going to have to move back into the reality of our place on this planet. And our place means that we can no longer 
take the resources of this planet, stuff them down the throat of an animal, and eat them at the same time that other people are going hungry, that we're going to see countries covered with water because of the melting of the, the ice shield in Greenland. Vince, I'm telling you, this is the most important issue that has ever faced the people living on the planet. If we don't deal with it, the future for our children and grandchildren is almost non-existent. It's time to learn, time to act, and become part of the solution. Okay, well, it's, it's kind of a bleak picture, but I'd say the one thing we have in our corner is we have Howard Lyman out there fighting for us and getting the message out. So thanks for doing that and thanks for talking on VegCast. I'll tell you, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to see you. And you. every time I see you above the grass, I think it's a good world. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you. And for our last Sounds of Summerfest mini-interview, uh, we go to Anne Dinshaw herself, the daughter of Jay Dinshaw, who put together the book Powerful Vegan Messages, which she wound up uh, co-writing kind of collaborating with her father on some of it. Uh, it's certainly a book that everybody listening to this podcast should own, so if you don't already, uh, go out and get it. Uh, it will not only help you appreciate the place of Jay Dinshaw in uh, the animal advocacy movement in America in the second half of the uh, 20th century, but it also contains... Uh, some of his writings and some of his ideas that help to explain things that really uh, people should have been paying attention to back when he was writing and are still, I'm hearing a lot of people going around and around about these same issues right now. Well, maybe if you would read the writings of Jay Dinshaw, you wouldn't have to be uh, racking your brain and pulling your hair about some of these things. But either way, uh, powerful vegan messages. Uh, you can get it from the American Vegan Society. We'll have it in our show notes. But right now, uh, we're going to go out to a very different kind of environment from where we were talking to Howard, a very nice and quiet location outside the Pascarilla Center, uh, to talk with Ann Dinshaw. Okay, right now on a beautiful summer evening outside the Pascarilla Center in Johnstown, we're talking with Ann Dinshaw. And thanks for being on VegCast again. And uh, we're talking about powerful vegan messages and the new book uh, by you and your father, Jay Dinshaw. And uh, through this book, you learn a lot about Jay Dinshaw and uh, how the kinds of things that he was doing have kind of flowered and blossomed and rippled into a bunch of different things uh, in terms of vegan advocacy throughout this continent at least, um, and but one thing that we're not sure from getting all the way through the book is what did he eat, and that's what people ask vegans: what do you eat? And you know, I came up with my answer for that. So, what was your father's answer? Well, actually, my dad usually didn't tell people what he ate, and he usually ate what my mom prepared for him. Well, fair enough. So that's why my mom published uh, The Vegan Kitchen, which was the first cookbook in this country to use the word vegan in its title. And that was back in the mid-60s. Right. So uh, my dad was quite capable of baking a potato or something like that if he had to. But right. my mom really, truly enjoys cooking. Well, that's and fine. So, um, that's, that's but you're saying that he never had any input as to what was going to be made. Is it not like he had said, oh, we're going to have the... 
macaroni and uh, wheat chaff or whatever it was you <laughs> no, guys had back in those days. His absolute favorite food was potatoes. Okay. So if he knew that he needed to just do something quickly, he would say, ah, just throw some spuds in the oven. And if it was his birthday, then he would request potato casserole. Uh-huh. And so if you're looking for that recipe, it's actually in Dating Vegans. And um, the only recipe that we put in Powerful Vegan Messages is the recipe of how to do good in the world. Right. Okay. Well, that's fair. Because it's not called Powerful Vegan Recipes. It's Powerful <laughs> Vegan Messages. So just looking at the whole uh, aspect of messaging... I mean, one of your main tasks for this was to take something, uh, essentially it was one book, but you added in things from others of his books, uh, which had a particular impact at the time, and you felt that it was time to kind of uh, enhance or adapt or whatever, and you, you kind of reimagined the whole <laughs> kind of the J. Dinshaw oeuvre with, you know, contributions from your own, uh, to, to clarify, so what was, how did you even, you know, decide this is going to resonate, this is not, this is something that is best left in the dustbin of history, but this is something that we got to, we got to get out there right now. How would, how did you go about that whole process? Well, really, it's, um, it's because I have so many great friends, and um, a lot of them are people who were my father's friends, and I reached out to them for their memories. And a lot of them talked about what they learned from hearing him speak or from reading Out of the Jungle, which was his original book. And uh, we were the, down to the last couple of cases of Out of the Jungle, the fifth edition of it. And uh, so I, I actually started reading it for the first time, well, for the first real time, because, of course, he tried to read it to me when I was a kid, and I just wasn't ready for it then. Right. But uh, in everybody's life, there comes a time when you're ready to really understand something. And I read it, and I really enjoyed his stories, and it was full of good memories for me of the things that he was trying to teach me. And um, so then collecting the stories from other people, I really was just expecting to get a few stories just to intersperse a little bit in with his book and just update the book a little bit. And we wound up having over 40 people who contributed stories, and everybody told something wonderful. So then we had to figure out how to organize it, and uh, I realized they tell his biography. So we tell it chronologically based off of when people met him, and uh, along the way you learn not just him but his message and how it impacted other people and how it may impact the reader as well. Okay. Well, I have to, if I can just throw in my own reminiscence, it's only that I think a lot of people today are in the position that I was when I came to Summerfest, which was that I had... Uh, and, you know, this was just after the Internet had started, that's my excuse, that I think a lot of us in those days, when we went vegetarian, I mean, I went vegetarian in 85, and it was like each of us was out in our own, like, little universe, because we didn't know other people who were like this. Um, and, you know, we gradually found our way, and I gradually found my way to some of this and thought, oh, there are people who are actually getting together and doing this, and they've already established a bunch of things that are going to be very helpful. Um, and there are so many people that are working so much at this and doing so so much in this, you know, doing a bunch of different jobs, and there's this one guy that was doing this job of running the bookstore, and he was, just seemed like he was a very driven 
worker, and I, I, and he had a wicked sense of humor, and he was mocking me, in my book that I had brought there, uh, in a way that was both it was perfectly balanced. It, you know, as a student of humor myself, I had a real appreciation of the way it was balanced, for, for where you could just get enough of the edge of the critique that you could tell that it was he was actually making a point, but at the same time, it fell over into this kind of gentle funny uh, sense at the same time. So he had this like balance between the, the kind of the caustic and the sweet to him that is what I remembered about this guy that was you know, working in the bookstore. And then I, it wasn't until like my second Summerfest when I was here at the second Summerfest that I uh, learned, oh, this is the guy that like started the whole organization that started this happening. And I was like, wait, the guy was working in the bookstore? And what that speaks to is not just, not just my cluelessness, and I think still a cluelessness of a lot of people that need to read this book, but of his, his humility and his, not even humility is such a loaded term, but the way that he just did, he was not too full of himself, as he perfectly well deserved to be by the time I met him. It, it, uh, I hope that the book really... Uh, is able to bring forward to a lot of people uh, that he was somebody that just kept working on this and kept finding new ways to get the message out. And this it's great that there's now a newer way to get it out, and I'm hoping that uh, we get it out to a lot more people that really should be keeping track of that and actually being inspired by it. So... Um, yeah, so that's not a very good question, is it? That's okay. I'm trying to figure out which of the three or ten questions in there I should just address. Address whatever. But may, maybe I should start with saying that um, you know, he became vegan in 1957, so that was a little bit before you did. Yeah, and... yeah a little bit before. <laughs> yeah. And um, so his his true passion, he totally got it the day that he stepped out of the slaughterhouse. Yeah. I mean, he had been a lifetime vegetarian. Right. But he totally got that uh, he couldn't have milk anymore because the spent dairy cows got slaughtered, and right. he saw that. And uh, so he knew that day that he had to do something. And so he really started doing the American Vegan Society before he founded it officially in 1960. He started right away. Right. And that was really what he wanted to do. But um, one of the things that he thought was really important was to start to have a bigger presence of veganism in North America. And he was involved with the International Vegetarian Union. But at that time, they wouldn't allow a vegan organization to host the World Vegetarian Congress because there was a certain element that felt that they needed to have vegetarian options, so a little milk and eggs and things like that around. And so... Uh, my dad formed a team of people to found this new organization, the North American Vegetarian Society, and they got the bid to do the first World Vegetarian Congress held in North America. Mm -hmm. And he united the different groups that existed in some of the major cities around the country. Um, there were five different cities in this country and two in Canada that each had organizations, and none of them knew anything about each other. And so he got a hold of each of them, and they got together, and they put on the first conference in Maine in 1975. And because his first passion was really for the vegan movement, um, he made sure that the recipes in that first 
conference, uh, working, of course, with my mom doing the recipes. Uh, he made sure that the recipes were all vegan, but then they served the milk products on the side for those who felt that they wanted it, so right. that way they could be a vegetarian organization. Right. So that was his way to keep his values and his, his integrity and kind of work around the situation that way. Yeah. And so it's delightful to see that the recipes have continued to be vegan to this day, and now this is a vegan organization as well. But his original intent was to form a team of people to do the North American Vegetarian Society so that he wouldn't have to run two organizations. And so when it got going well enough that it could stand on its own feet, it could move out of his house and go to its own location and have its own board of directors without him on it, uh, then he was happy to just come and you know, guide as whatever was necessary, be a speaker once in a while, sell some books, things like that but then he was able to turn his attentions back to the american vegan society and so that's why he was doing much smaller of a role than you would expect when you met him because he was doing other things at that time right and i don't want to say that it was just that it was a much smaller role it's that you know looking at it now from my perspective you know i'm walking into this place oh i got some books that i'm supposed to put are you the guy i'm supposed to talk to um i feel like i should have been uh you know talking to him with more respect but he wasn't he didn't have an air about him like well he also hey, enjoyed you owe that. me some respect now <laughs> no. it was no, he was just he, constantly let's let's get bantering be, and mix it up just and, a regular guy yeah um you know he wouldn't have wanted you to know who he was yeah. um you know he wanted people to just get to know him as being jay he never wanted any sort of a title right um he was happy to let other people shine and you know to groom them to be able to take over and do things right and he enjoyed sitting there and having those quiet moments in the bookstore and then selling things and um now, I, I know John Pierre shared some really cool moments um, that at Summerfest he would see everybody going to the different lectures and stuff and go, that means Jay Dinshaw's alone in the bookstore. <laughs> so he'd go and he'd pick his brain and you see what a wonderful speaker he's developed to being. Yeah. And so I really think that uh, my dad had a gift of finding people and um, that was really what I learned from talking to other people, that it wasn't about being the leader and being the writer and being the motivational speaker, which of course he was, but it was for finding the people and helping them find within themselves what they can really do to further veganism. Okay. Well, as my last question, talking about people finding within themselves what they can do to further veganism uh, makes me think of you the co-author of this book i mean you're the one that essentially uh put the whole thing together so you know is this like now that you've done this you feel like you've, you've kind of carried through you know his legacy to this point and you know you can now turn your attention to rowing or is this going to be you know you did uh the book dating vegans you had the had the the cookbook with your mother about the kids recipes are you planning to take that off in another direction or you do you plan to like do more to try to get the whole ahimsa dynamic harmlessness vein you know more understood in our culture well i think i've realized how much uh, from doing this project i've realized how much uh, people don't know what ahimsa really means and especially his way of promoting it as being the positive action side, the dynamic harmlessness to do not just the least harm, but also the most good. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
I feel that right now that there's a need for me to really take his message uh, because I don't want it to die with him. And now that we have the internet, there are so many people who all they know about him is what they read on Wikipedia and half of that was false. So we managed right. to, to clean that up. Um, but now um, this uh, this book has grown into be such a huge project that I'm looking forward to getting some of his videos up online. We have one up on the Powerful Vegan Messages channel already, but uh, we're going to work on editing some of his other work and putting it up there for people to enjoy. And um, I'm still doing my day, day job as a rowing coach. Right. <laughs> Being an activist or uh, you know somebody who's passionate about veganism, it, it doesn't pay the bills yet. <laughs> uh, my true true goal is that you know someday I think we will be able to close all the slaughterhouses and people will understand why it's important to be vegan and there'll be enough of them that I would love to go out of business and not be needed right. and people go, well, why do we need the American Vegan Society? Right. What, what's the point? Everybody's vegan. <laughs> um, but it'd be nice if they kind of understand a little bit of why we were around and what the history was and that there was a time that it was so important. Fair enough. Well, with this book, that's certainly the case. So. Thanks for talking about it, and thanks for you know going into uh, into that whole thing for our listeners on VegCast. You're welcome. Okay. Science. Our science fact for VegCast 121: Lower meat consumption will help water scarcity issues, say researchers. This write-up from Food Navigator about a recent study, and it goes as follows. Altering diets to consume less meat would protect water resources in dry areas around the world and increase food security efforts, say researchers from Finland. According to the new study, reducing use of animal products can have a considerable impact on areas suffering scarce water resources as meat production requires more water than other agricultural products. This dietary change, together with other actions such as reductions of food losses and waste, could also tackle the future challenges of food security, says lead author Mika Yalava from Aalto University in Finland. And she says, Our results show that reducing animal products in the human diet offers the potential to save water resources up to the amount currently required to feed 1.8 billion additional people globally. However, our results show that the adjustments should be considered on a local level, said Yalava and colleagues, writing in environmental research letters. The study is the first global-scale analysis with a focus on changes in national diets and their impact on the blue and green water use of food consumption. A little later explains uh, the blue and green thing. By reducing the intake of animal-based products in the diet, global green water, rainwater that is, consumption was projected to decrease by up to 21%, while for blue water, irrigation water, the reductions could be up to 14%, said the researchers. They suggested that by shifting to vegetarian diet, the world could secure adequate food supply for an additional 1.8 billion people without increasing the use of water resources. And this is, of course, uh, right now, as I'm recording this, 
Uh, we are in the midst of a craze sweeping the nation of people taking fresh water and dumping it on their heads in order to encourage themselves and others to give money for a particular animal testing industry. And I won't address that. We've had plenty of uh, science facts dealing with the process of animal testing and some of its pitfalls, uh, but just to address the uh, critique that some non-vegans are making about how this is ridiculous to waste fresh water. Uh, if you're eating meat, you're wasting fresh water. And we also have this drought uh, going on in the western United States that is making a lot of people talk about how we need to conserve water. The most massive waste of water in our system, uh, a completely unneeded use of water, uh, by which we could save a massive amount of water is, of course, uh, the use of water in animal agriculture. Now, we do need water to raise plants. That's uh, a basic fact. But uh, we don't need to then use more water to raise more plants, to feed those plants to animals, and then feed more water to those animals uh, so that we can then slaughter them. And the sooner that humanity uh, realizes this, the better off we'll be and the less that we'll have to undertake uh, crazy stunts in order to get uh, people to be aware of the problems. No, the way that people will become aware of the problems that exist and the solutions there too is, of course, by listening to the Science Fact. All right, we are coming up to the end of VegCast 121, Sounds of Summerfest 2014, and pursuant to that, I should mention that uh, a couple of odd sounds you might have heard in the interview with Ann Dinshaw that sounded like far-off explosions were indeed fireworks that were occurring in the next town while we were uh, recording that, uh, because it was way back right around July 4th. Uh, but we're getting this out now before Labor Day to signify that it's still uh, officially and unofficially summer. And uh, as you can tell, it's uh, become... A little more logistically uh, difficult for me to get VegCast out. So as I said last time, we're going to a different schedule where they just appear periodically for special occasions such as this. And I refer everybody who has enjoyed uh, the, uh, the kind of discourse that VegCast offers to follow me uh, on Twitter at V4Veg, V numeral 4 VEG. Uh, and to read my column, V for Veg, in the Philadelphia Daily News, which you can find at philly.com slash V for Veg, and also uh, to read my blog on philly.com, V for Vegan, which you can find at philly.com slash vegan blog. Those uh, links will, of course, be in our show notes. And with that little reminder, I think we're going to get out of here. Right. I would like to thank our sponsor, Tofurky, creating delicious, innovative, and affordable meat alternatives from non-GMO organic soybeans since 1980. And I would also like to thank Jonathan Balcom, Miyoko Shinner, Dr. Michael Greger, John Pierre, Howard Lyman, Elizabeth Barnett, and Anne Dinshaw 
or appearing in one form or another in this episode of EdgeCast. We will be back before too long, but during the interim, I implore you, as always, to get out there and live like you mean it. EdgeCast.